morning, uh, we're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5. And this morning, uh, I've been gone for a few weeks, so you, some people have asked me where I'm at. Uh, I'm still on the same thing. We're, we're dealing with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit, being filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We dealt last time I was here with the fruit of the Spirit is peace, peace with God. This morning, I want us to look at peace with one another. Uh, it reminded me of, of the yearling. How many have seen that old classic uh, uh, episode of the yearling where a uh, little boy Jody is, finds this baby deer and he's raising this deer and it gets to be a yearling, a year old, and they finally have to let it go. But, uh, you know, everything's cute and there's nothing, no trouble when it's about that big, you know? And it grows and they were under this, this huge storm that was so bad and lasted so long, it was damaging the crops and food was getting scarce. The deer was getting bigger. It was in the cabin with Dad and Jody and Ma. And, um, you know, it was just inevitable at some point that deer broke into uh, reserved food for the family and started eating that. And Mom was livid. She was, you know, we need to kill that thing uh, and kill it now. And Jody's arguing back and forth with Mom and Dad finally just gets exasperated and frustrated enough to raise his voice and say, Ain't there enough trouble fall from the sky that you don't have to have the family quarreling too? What does a man have to do? Does he have to die to get some peace? And Pa ain't alone in that. There are a lot of people who have felt like, What do I have to do? Do I have to die to get some peace? Peace is a huge deal. It's a big deal. Peace with one another. It's so big. As a matter of fact, I, had, I didn't think about that until yesterday, today. Peace is a big, such a big deal. Many people, I would say it's probably the number one thing, a whole different subject, but the number one decision-making entity of some sort, when you ask somebody, why did you get married to that person? Why did you take that job? Why did you move from here to there? Whatever. People say, well, I just had this peace. I had a, I had a sense of peace that it was, it was better with these folks than with those folks. That puts peace in just a huge category of, of, of power and influence in our lives. But we ought to be, of all people, the most at peace and it shouldn't be dependent upon us moving or getting out of something or going somewhere else look at Galatians 5 and I remind you of the contrast that is here verse 19 now the deeds of the flesh so this is the non-christian the deeds of the flesh are evident I mean it's obvious which are immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery now let's start right here enmities strife Jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. All of those sound to me like the, the absence of peace. And so when you get to verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Notice that contrast. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're, you're taking out of this domain in which you have to serve your flesh. And the deeds of the flesh are strife, enmity, dissension, outburst of anger. So you're redeemed into a place where the Spirit fills you and you have peace. Man, that's exciting. What a transformation. We of all people are a people of peace, not just with God, but peace with one another. And we need to, to, to experience that, understand it, and develop it more and more and more. Because it sets us apart. The world's in turmoil. The world's in outburst of anger. It's in factions and dissensions and uh, strife and enmity, fighting all the time. But they look at the church filled with the Spirit and they see peace. We've had people walk into our house before and said, there's just a sense of peace here. And, and we should all have that because it's the Spirit in us. Let's look at 
God's definition of this peace he gives us with one another. And then let's, let's look on how we can develop it uh, more and more and more. Cultivate the fruit. First of all, look at Ephesians chapter 2, um, 13 through 19. And you, you see... A definition of peace that really comes with Christ. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. I mean, you can just sit right there for a minute and think about the definition of peace. We who are far off have been brought near and it's through the blood of Christ, and Christ himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. He's speaking of Jew and Gentiles here. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. So the enmity goes. This division goes, which is the law of the commandments uh, contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. He's talking about peace with one another. These people who consider themselves special, the Jews, Israel. He says, no, 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 you are now special. You're now my people. He's bringing us together. He goes on with this theme. Um, and it, verse 17, and he came and preached peace. This is Jesus preaching. And part of Jesus preaching was to peace. Preach peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Think about the results of the preaching of Jesus. Jesus' preaching produced church membership. When he preached... He took people who were far off, he brought them together, and he made them the church, God's household of faith. And in that household, Christ is our peace. Christ grants us peace with one another. Two really warring parties have been brought together into the household of faith, and yet that household is as a household of great peace with one another we possess peace you don't have to work this up christ is our peace have you received christ you have it if you have christ peace with others that christ produces that's the results of him preaching his gospel his message to us it's peace now everybody doesn't have it Again, let's go back to that, that contrast. Christ didn't promise to give peace to the whole world. And so there's going to be times where we are in conflict. And Christ even mentions that. Look with me at Luke chapter 12, 51 through 53. Strong contrast from what I just said. Luke chapter 12, 51 through 53. Christ is speaking. And he says this. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? And you think, well, well, yeah, that's what the preacher just said. And he says, I tell you, no, but rather division. For from now on, the five members in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Christ says it's not going to all be peachy keen for everybody. There's going to be division. There's going to be anger. There's going to be warfare. And it's going to even happen in intimate places like in the home between family members. Christ will be uh, our peace, but it's not going to be everybody's peace. So where Christ is, there's also an inevitable division. People are still mad at God. Well, if God's now in you, they get mad at you. Uh, and that happens even in households. 
And we'll see that more and more. So how do we deal with that? And that's why Romans 12 uh, is, is here. Look at Romans 12, verse 18. Great verse to memorize. It says, if possible. It's not always possible, but if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So if possible, in other words, we're always offering peace. We're trying to produce peace and cultivate peace. Christ is our peace. He gives us power to be at peace. But there are people who get mad at us for being so blessed, being so treasured, being so special, being the household of God that's going to heaven. People get upset with that, and they war at us. God says, as far as it's possible with you, be at peace. But it's not possible with them. And if they just want to keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, you, you can't change them. You can't stop that. That's going to still be in this world. But in you, there needs to be peace. So what is peace? Peace is something that is possessed by believers, produced by Christ alone. That's what we're talking about. We're not just talking about a human manufacturer of peace. We're not talking about polished humanity. We're talking about peace that Christ brings us. It's clear that we've talked about peace with God, but it's also a peace within the church, within the household of faith, every nation, tribe, and tongue uh, that, that we can have with one another because of Christ and what he's done uh, in us. And, and, and we need to have it. Um, but it's going to be hard at times. A good example of this is Christ on the cross. You remember when he's hanging on the cross? You get a picture through the Gospels of just peace. And with him, but not with the world. There are people coming by Christ on the cross, still insulting him, yelling at him. The, 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 the soldiers spitting on him. They're, they're still in conflict. They're warring with him. And yet Christ on the cross, as far as it's possible, what does he do? He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is, this is crazy. This is wrong to be yelling at the Prince of Peace. Christ was in perfect peace, even when there was great turmoil in front of him. We need to be pursuing the same kind of peace, peace that he gives us. Um, look with me. This is an interesting verse that some people don't really think through, but, but, but look in the home. Think about marriage. If you're a believer and your spouse is an unbeliever, you're supposed to be pursuing peace. As far as it's possible with you, let's pursue this. But what if it's not possible with them? The answer is in 1 Corinthians 7. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. 1 Corinthians 7. Here's just a great practical example of it in a hard place. 1 Corinthians 7, 14 and 15. It says, verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. In other words, if you're an unbeliever here, but you have a believing spouse, it's good for you. You become better by hanging out with, living with believers. And he goes on and puts it on the other foot, not just for the uh, husband, but also for the wife. And the unbelieving wife, so you may be the believing husband. The unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. It's good for you. If you're married to a believer, but you're not one, hang out with them. It's really good for you to stick around. Why? Because God blesses them. If he's blessing them, he's going to be blessing you. There's the power of God in that believing spouse is going to spill out. Blessing to the unbelieving. And not only to the unbelieving spouse, but it says also to the kids. He goes on. He says, for otherwise your children are unclean. So they get a sanctification process going just because the believer is in the home. But now they are holy. Now catch this, verse 15. Yet, don't miss the yet. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. 
the brother or the sister, so husband or wife, is not under bondage in such cases. Why? Because God has called us to peace. So it's of great benefit for the unbeliever to stay. And you can even use that in testimony. Because Christ has changed my life, I'm now the believer in the family. Because Christ has changed my life, your life's going to be better. Just wait and see. You're going to have more love for me. You're going to have more forgiveness for me. You're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. Peace for me. Joy for me. Kindness for me. You're going to be so incredibly blessed because Christ is in me that you should want what I've got. But if you don't want it, if you want to get mad, if you want to say, well, I don't like your God and you can't go to church and you can't love him, I'm going to forbid it in my house. Well, you know, that's not going to happen because God's the love of my heart. I will never stop loving him. And I must worship him. And that person said, well, I'm just fed up with it. I'm going. And God says, okay, go. Okay, go. Because God's called us. You don't bring that unbeliever back in the house and start beating them. You know, you've got to receive Jesus. You let them go. If they don't want the good thing they have in you, in Christ, God says, I have called you to peace. And sometimes that's hard. I've called you sometimes to this divorce because this non-Christian just doesn't want to live with the fruit of the Spirit. They're so jealous of it or envious of it. Remember the deeds of the flesh? Jealous. Envy. Strife. What should we do in that situation? Again, I'll give you one other verse besides the Romans 12, 18. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hold your strength in pursuing peace. It's clearly, strongly presented here. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men. So this is including the non-Christian. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You deny the faith if you don't pursue peace. So you're, you're constantly seeking peace even though they want to seek war. You're pursuing it as much as possible within yourself because that's characteristic of those who are in Christ. We're filled with the Spirit. Through the Spirit is peace. Great. How do we get more of it? How do we cultivate peace? As a fruit, it's something Christ is in us, but we can be transformed more and more into His image, become more and more like Him day after day, and we need to become more and more like Him in this category of peace, the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. So I've given you seven things application here, how you can develop peace with others, how you can pursue it, how you can cultivate it. First, by praying, not pouting. By praying, not pouting. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it's, in its welfare, you will have welfare. There's lots of things that happen in the city. There's lots of things that happen in our world. And Christians can get turned off to them. And it's easy to start fighting them. And say, well, that's, that's worldly, and I don't want it. God doesn't say separate from that. God says pray. Pray for, for the welfare of the city. Pray that your town prospers. Pray that your nation prospers. He says you'll be blessed through that because you're coming alongside people. That's things they care about, and you're promoting and producing peace. Pray. Don't pout that things aren't going your way 
or my way. Said another way, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. You've heard this uh, about praying for our, our government. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. says, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead, and doesn't this define peace, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. The command there is pray. Don't pout. When there's authorities over us, our government's over us, people in the city are over us. A lot of times we, we just want to grumble and complain. We want to pout about decisions they make and how it affects us, how it increases our taxes or messes up our property or whatever. God said, no, no, pray. Don't pout. Pray that God gives them wisdom. Pray that they prosper. And that's going to be a blessing to both Christian and non-Christian alike. So that's one of the ways we begin to, to cultivate peace. In other words, let me put it simply, Instead of wrestling with men, wrestle with God through prayer. When, when that wrestling with men comes up, so, you know, first and foremost, I need to be on my face before God asking for His fruit to be produced. Second thing we can do is yield, not yell. Yield, not yell. When I thought about authorities, God has structured this world putting all of us under some authority, and many of us under multiple authorities. And we, we need to, to learn how to be submissive. We're a culture that wants to, to not be submissive, but we need to learn how to subject ourselves to the authorities God has placed above us. And I want you to see that and think about that and how that's a by doing that, submission leads to peace. Being submissive, yielding, not yelling. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, 7. Primarily, this uh, perhaps is, is, is just Christian authority, but we'll get to others. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. So God's created this world with leaders. And you need to obey. You need to submit. Why? Here, I, this is why we, we clearly see it to be elders or Christian leaders. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Uh, submit to leaders. They have to give an account. To who? God. God's given them leadership gifts. So yield to them, um, and God's going to bless it. It's going to be unprofitable if you don't get this thing called submission, if you don't learn to subject yourselves to the authorities God's put over you. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Here we have it in the home. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's submission. In the home, children must be submissive to parents. Why? God put parents in authority in the home. Christians don't, I mean, parents, excuse me, children, I can't get my words straight. Children don't decide what goes on, parents do. Children obey, be submissive. By the way, uh, since we're there on the page, Ephesians 6, uh, people have been asking me, what are you preaching on? Let me just give you the big picture real quick. We're here in a little rabbit trail, okay? I'm still actually preaching from Ephesians, okay? Some guest was here a few weeks ago and said, oh, I thought you were preaching from Galatians. I said, no, 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 I'm preaching from Ephesians. People just don't know it. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So we, we dealt with that. Ephesians 5, verse 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. And I stopped to think, well, how do you not grieve the Spirit? How do you get filled with the Spirit if you don't even know who the Spirit is? So we stop to do this little, maybe it's not so little anymore, rabbit trail on the person and work of the Spirit. And part of the work of the Spirit is producing this fruit. So that's what I'm preaching on, okay? 
how you don't grieve the Spirit, how you get filled with the Spirit. Which means, my last sermon in Ephesians was Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And I stopped to do all this on the Spirit. But as soon as I get through the fruit of the Spirit, we're right back in Ephesians 5, 3, just so you know. And it's, you see there, Ephesians 5, 3, shouldn't be any immorality, impurity, greed, different things. I've, I've got, I'm preparing sermons now on greed and gluttony and immorality and pornography and immorality in the home and uh, all of those things and then verse 22 wives being subject to husbands verse 25 husbands loving wives i want to do a series on marriage chapter 6 which is where i'm at right now uh, a series on child rearing and life in the home we're still in ephesians and we may be there for a while but that's that's what i'm working through but i just share that god has so much for us and he's teaching us so much as the people of God here to be at peace with one another. And it's going to spill over into how we react morally. It's going to spill over into our marriages. It's going to spill over into child rearing um, so much uh, here. Okay, where was I? Uh, yielding, not yelling. So we need to, to yield in the home we need to yield in the church. I gave you the Hebrews passage. Look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Another passage talks about the authorities in the church uh, that we need to, to, to deal with. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 12, says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. Don't miss that word, charge. It, just so anti-cultural there are people who in the church who have a charge over you and they give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work catches live in peace with one another it's just so typical to take pot shots at leaders it's so easy to do to sit around and just say, oh, I didn't like what he said, I don't like what he's doing, because those are the people up front. And guys, that's not producing peace. Learn to appreciate the leadership God's put in place. Learn to yield to it, and it produces peace. We need to see it in the church. We need to see it in the home. Look at the government. Look at Romans chapter 13 in the world again. Romans 13. And this is true even when the administration of our government is, doesn't have the same ideology that you do. We still have this responsibility. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. How strong can he say it? Verse 2 says, Therefore, whoever resists authority, you've opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it's a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. It does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God. Obama is a minister of God to us. Our government is a minister of God to us. God says everyone needs to learn submission to governing authorities. He says realize when you oppose, you oppose God. If God has established that government, and he has doesn't mean we'll get to that. It doesn't mean there's, there's not times for civil disobedience and the rest. But if, but if we want to produce peace, cultivate peace, we need to learn to yield, to be submissive, to be subject to authorities that God has placed, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, or whether it's in society. Um, third, let's learn to cultivate peace by giving, not getting. Giving, not getting. Look at 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. This is a summary verse that comes after a long section really on submission to society in chapter 2 in the home. And then we get to 1 Peter 3, verse 8. He says, to sum up 
all of you be harmonious. So it's like to sum up everything I've been saying in 1 Peter all the way up to this point, you need to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, and catch this, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. We need to learn that when people do bad things to us, even if it's an authority over us, God says, I'm not asking you to return evil for evil. Yes, they did something evil, and we can define it that way. But don't lash back at them. You're first, you know, you've prayed, wrestled with God. Uh, you've yielded. You've been submissive to the authority. Third, he says, now, here's the third thing you can do. Give them something. They're mad at you because you're getting so many blessings from God. Give them some of those blessings. Learn to be a giver. As God blesses you, bless others. Find some gift that they really want and give it to them. And if you keep being a giver, generous givers are people other people want to be around. It's winsome, and it cultivates peace. So again, as far as it's possible for you to produce peace, do it. You can do it by being giver, not a getter. Say, I'm, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to give them something else. No, no, no. That's not the kind of giving we're talking about. Give a blessing instead when they come to, to give us something else. It cultivates peace. It's kindness. Fourth thing we can do. Now, let's get to the, the civil disobedience aspect. You, you could say, well, David, you have sold out now to peace at all costs. No, 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 I'm not done. That's just three out of seven, okay? Um, if, if you give to people who are being evil to you, if, you be, if you're submissive to people who are being evil to you, if you just pray and don't do anything else, people who are evil to you, you're just saying, back up, lay down, let them walk over you and... It's peace at all costs. That's not what the scripture says. It's purity, not pluralism. Uh, God is committed still to peace in righteousness, to peace in holiness. When it's forced upon us to sin, we don't. That's where we stop short. That's where we draw the line. You're asking me to do something. If you really love me, you will sleep with me. No, I'm not going to do that. That sin. Oh, well, then, then the people, the fight starts. Well, you didn't produce peace there. No, but I held a purity. It's purity over sin always, and the scripture is clear on that. If if, if somebody's asking you to to steal, if somebody's asking you to avoid public worship, if if you really love me, you won't go to church. You'll stay home, kind of thing, constantly begging you to break the law of God, say, no, I can't go there. God has required us, remember Hebrews 12, not only to pursue peace, but pursue peace and holiness and purity without which no one will see the Lord. It's peace in holiness. It's peace in sanctification. Look at James chapter 3. I'll give you another verse. James 3, 17 and 18. James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. So he's, he's called attention to the order. The wisdom from above is first. First, you've got to be committed to the standard or you won't have any peace. Peace is, 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 is knowing Christ is our rock and standing upon the solid rock. It's not wavering. Wavering produces uh, instability. It produces the lack of peace. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, and gentle, and reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. As soon as somebody pulls you into sin, oh, you're not a Christian after all. You know, they've, they've got you on the whole hypocrisy, the wavering thing. Verse 18, the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
The Holy Spirit is called holy for a reason. The fruit that is sown in righteousness leads to peace. So don't, um, don't get tricked into peace at all costs. It's purity, not everybody else's way of thinking. Fifth way we cultivate peace is through discipline, not disconnection. Sometimes there are believers that need discipline. They need admonition. They need exhortation. And we need to provide that, not just say, well, as far as it's possible for me, I'm at peace. No, there's, there's, more, there's more that's possible for you. You can go to that brother or sister in Christ and you can reconcile. So we need to see that responsibility. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Verse 23, Matthew 5, verse 23. It's, it's interesting the priority God puts on reconciliation with brothers and sisters in Christ. You saw it in Ephesians 2, that I've called you to be one. Christ is your peace. You, you possess something the world doesn't have. He really strengthens that, I think, here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore... If you're presenting your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now, when I talk about priority, God's made reconciliation between brothers and sisters in Christ of greater priority than worship. And what's more important than worship? He said, you're trying to worship and in your attempt to worship, you remember, oh, man. You know, John Doe over here and I are fighting. Jesus says, quit the public worship, go to John Doe, and get reconciled, then come back to public worship. What's going on is you're trying to worship in the spirit of peace. But in your heart, you're not at peace. God says, get that straight. How can you have peace with me if you... If, if you're constantly fighting, you're not working on this peace you should have with my family. I mean, those of you who are parents, how easy is, is it for you to be lovers as parents if your kids are fighting? It's extremely difficult. You say, kids, let's get reconciled first. You know, it, when the household's at peace, Everybody can experience peace. And the same thing goes on in the household of God. When brothers aren't reconciled or sisters aren't reconciled, God says, go get that straight. Then you could throw it back up at God and say, well, God, I tried that and it's not working. Well, God gives us a process. Look at Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15. He says, this is how you do it. You, you've realized, Matthew 18, verse 15, says, if your brother sins... Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Now, make sure it's a fault that's um, a breach of the standard. It's, it's, it's breaking a specific command of God. Don't just go to your brother and say, well, I don't like you know, what you've got on today or whatever. And uh, matter of fact, I don't ever like what you wear. You know, you've created a standard outside of God's word. And you're, you're judging someone and condemning someone. You don't have a specific sin. But if it is a specific sin, and that brother's sister has committed against you, says, go get it straight. Point it out. Say, according to this chapter, this verse, I really see the way you responded to me is sinful. If the Spirit of God's really in that person, they have the spirit of repentance. And they hate sin and they love Jesus. So they're going to be thankful Thanks for pointing that out. You know, I missed that verse. And I, I forgive you, you forgive me, and there's reconciliation. He says, if they don't listen because they, they consider you, you know, whatever. You're stupid. You haven't been saved as long as I've been saved. He said, well, then, then pull somebody else in with you is the next part. It says, verse 16, but if, if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So it's peer pressure. Now, two or three are going to that person and says, no, that chapter, that verse really is right, and the way you're behaving really is wrong, and you need to be reconciled with God, and you need to be reconciled with one another. And that person then, under the, the pressure of holy people, says, okay, 
I yield, I give up. If three of you are interpreting the scripture the same way, I must be wrong, you must be right, and you've won your brother, you've won your sister. And it says, and if that doesn't work, tell it to the church, which is church authorities, and they go. So again, it's, it's, it's wider and wider church peer pressure saying this is what the Bible says. We need to conform to it. And that's what God has put in place for us to be reconciled to one another. So, so we work that system and we seek to be uh, at one with one another through discipline, not, not building barriers. Not um, you know, God says, I, I've torn down the barrier. Don't build it back between my church. It's torn down. We need to be at peace. So that's what God gives us. Another thing we've got to, you know, I brought up. When you start confronting people or admonishing people, it is so, so easy for us to condemn people because of commands we've written, not the commands of God's Word. And B, I was, I was thinking about this just yesterday. I, I've got to get better when people confront me uh, of, 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 of just, I want to be first loving, I want to be tender, I want to be kind, I want to be gentle. But then I need to get bold and say, show me the chapter and verse. Because what I want to conform to is the Word of God. What I want to conform to is Christ, who is the Word, truth, the life. I don't want to conform to your preference for me. Because that may very quickly move me away from Christ and not closer to Christ. And so that's why I threw in this second, or whatever it is, sixth one, um, diversity, not duplication. To cultivate peace, we must be convinced that God's people are a diverse people with a huge diversity. We are not a people that has to act and look like one another. We're diverse. We have the same law, same standard, same Christ, same baptism, same God, but we are many varieties of people and styles and preferences. If you're at odds with one another over those preferences, repent. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. It's amazing the number of divisions that have occurred just not getting this principle. Diversity, not duplicity. We, we, we don't want to duplicate, replicate us in everybody else. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, it's one and many, one and many, constantly, and all the members of the body, though they are many, <coughs> are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, whether we, uh, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Now, for sake of time, skip down to uh, verse 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Which are the less presentable members here? Which are the weaker ones? Which are the least honorable? We could debate that a while, couldn't we? I'm not going to say we're going to come to a consensus on it. But you already have in your mind somebody you think is weaker than you. And less than you. And not as strong and as mighty as you. And God is saying, I want you, I want to deal with that. And I want you to see that those people you think are nothing. And just, they don't even present themselves well. What were they wearing? And they're not seemly or becoming to you. God says, on those very ones, I'm going to make them more necessary and more honorable. He doesn't say, I'm going to change them to look like you. I'm going to replicate your holy and perfect stance. 
and I'm going to transform them. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to leave you diverse. I love diversity. How can we wake up and not see the diverseness? Is that a new word? The diversity of God. He has so many varieties of everything in the world, including people. Not two of us in this room are alike. Even twins that are in this room are not alike. They're different personalities, different characteristics, different gifts, different uses in God's kingdom. And God says, you need to get that. We have one Christ, one Lord, one faith, but we're many. And we are often not cultivating peace because we want to make people act like and look like us instead of just glorying in the diversity God has created. So you'll cultivate peace when you get, they don't have to be our kind. They can be a different kind and still be glorious in Christ. We are one. All right, number seven, by forgiving, not fortifying. Forgiving, not fortifying. If you go through these six ways of cultivating fruit, it just seems to sum up and be em- emphasized. We need to be good at forgiving other people who are not like us or different, who do things and say things uh, in authority over us, with us, however they are. Look at Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 12 through 15. Great passage. You can't read this passage and not just be overwhelmed with how God is pressing upon us the need to be kind and gentle and peaceful with others. Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 12, says, So as those who have been chosen of God, that's us, right? Holy and beloved, this is what we do. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. What's the key here? How does the peace of Christ really rule in our hearts? I think the key is forgiving one another like Christ forgave us. And how does Christ forgive us? He forgives our sins, and He remembers our sin no more. He doesn't take our sin and start building a wall with it to always have it between Him and us so that He remembers all of our sin. Saying, you know, you get too much, man, I can't even see you for your sin anymore. God doesn't do that. But lots of times, we treat one another as though we can't ever forget that sin. We create this barrier. We can't even see them without seeing that sin first. God says, that's no way to cultivate peace. You've got to learn to forgive, to tear that barrier down, and to embrace people as those who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, whose sins have been removed. And they've become his. Treat them as one for whom Christ died. How could you treat them with anything but great respect and kindness and gentleness if Christ thought enough of them to purchase them with his blood? So these things will, will, will draw us into a richer production of fruit for peace. Do you hunger for that? Do you thirst for it? I think some of that's even wrapped up in Jesus' statement in Matthew 11 where he says, all you who are heavy laden, you're weary, you're under a huge load. What does Christ say? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And and I love the word. He says, says, and I will rest you. You get the sense, you come to Christ and he will put you at this state of peace and rest. So what do you need this morning? You need to come to Jesus. 
God, you've given me yourself. You've filled me with your spirit. I need more of that. I need to cultivate this peace, and I need to come to Christ, to his word, that it would transform me. You remember when the angels came to the shepherds, the Christmas story, coming now to the, the Bethlehem manger, glory to God in the highest, and peace among men. Christ has been born. Christ is our peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. He has come to grant peace among men. Peace on a far different level. And I've gone through a bunch of scripture, taught on a bunch of subjects. There's no way for me to know where the Spirit was moving with you. Wherever that is, let's pray together and just, God, this is what I need to deal with today. I need to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. Among someone, maybe in this room, someone you work with, maybe it's our land, our government, and you've, you've gotten tools to, to be fertilizing and cultivating this fruit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come again to Jesus. We ask, O oh Christ, you would be our peace. Work in us. Convince and convict us of sin we need to root out. Let us pull this weed that the fruit may flourish. May we continue to be a fellowship at peace because of Christ, our Prince of Peace. Take this sin, Lord. Take it from me. Make me one who's, who's reconciled to my brothers and my sisters. As far as it's possible, let me be the one who's giving kindness and gentleness and blessings that I get in abundant supply from you. Fathers, we come to the Lord's table. Enable us to see we're coming to Christ who's died that we might have peace with you. He's gone to war. We don't have to. The enmity and the strife between us is removed. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We ask, O oh God, that we would celebrate you now. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.